Well, as I said, last uh, final chapter of James. And with all the different things we've been going through in James and the, and the challenging things about, about wisdom, about planning, about our words, it seems like everyone kind of really goes to the heart of the matter and, and is challenging. And you can get to this passage we read today and think to yourself, oh, great, I get a week off because this is talking to those wealthy people and, uh, and having a go at them. And I, I'm fine. That doesn't really matter to me. And, and there is an aspect of that, as we'll see. I believe this passage is not directed specifically at us. But we do have to remember something, and that is how do we define wealth? We often think as wealth as that person that earns more than us or that person that has more than us. Uh, the definition of wealth, if you went to the dictionary, and simply a prosperous or abundant supply. Let's face it, most of us have abundance in some sense. You know, we go to our cupboards and there is some food in there. We are able to put petrol in the car. We do enjoy certain things of life as far as that goes, I suppose you could say that we are all wealthy. In world standards, we are. I, I saw this little article, and I'll just read you a couple of things of this. Now, this is probably in US dollars, but you'll get the idea. Am I rich is the question here. Do you have assets of $2,200 or more? And that means your car, your mobile phone, your TV, your furniture. Is that worth more than $2,200? In this world, you're rich. If you have assets of $2,200 or more, you're in the top 50% of the world's wealthiest. If you made $1,500 last year for that, you're in the top 20% of the world income earners. Half the world lives on uh, $2 a day or less. If you have sufficient food, decent clothes, live in a house or apartment, and have reasonably reliable means of transportation, you're in the top 15% of the world's wealthy. If you have $61,000 in assets, now maybe nobody's got that, but car, house, all that stuff, you're in the 10% of the richest adults in the world. If you earn more than $25,000, you're in the top 10% of the world's income earners. If you have a money a saved, a hobby that requires some equipment or supplies, a variety of clothes in your closet, two cars in any condition, and live in your own home, you're in the top 5% of the world's wealthy. If you earn more than $50,000, you're in the top 1% of income earners in the world. And if you have more than half a million in assets, you're, in the, you're part of the richest 1% in the world. So we don't think we're wealthy, but if you put it in the scheme of wealth around the world, we, everybody in this country, we have, we have wealth. Now, I understand that it's all relative, and so even within Australia, we do have people living in poverty because of escalating costs. We've read a lot and heard a lot on the news about the cost of electricity going up and, and uh, particularly older people having to cut off, had their power cut off and things like that. So I'm not saying that there's nobody in this country that lives in poverty, but certainly our standard of living is, is higher than anyone else's in other, in other countries and what many other people have to go to. So I say all that to make us think, and again, this passage is not directed to us, but it's in James's letter... And it's in God's word. And so there's obviously stuff in here that we need to think about and pay attention to. In 1 Timothy, Paul says, having food and raiment, that's basically food and clothing, let us be content, there with content. Part of that is just to be satisfied with what we have. Now, as we said last week with planning, it's not wrong to save. It's not wrong to actually uh, work towards getting more in life. The Bible's not 
teaching against wealth. Here we find that it's teaching against the abuse of wealth. So let us, at the moment, as we go through this passage, I want us to consider uh, just a few things about it. Firstly, who is it directed to? Because in the first passage, he says, go to now you rich men, and he's, this is pretty scathing stuff, isn't it? He's telling them some pretty damning things about the way that they're approaching their wealth and what they're doing with it. Well, there's two theories that commentators have. One is that this is written to, of course, Jewish believers scattered because of persecution. Some think that this is actually written to some of them. In chapter 1, verse 10, we, uh, it talks about those who are rich, but the rich in that he is made low. So he's talking to people who are believers who are rich. Then last week, when we looked at verses 13 through 17, we're referring to people that said, I'm going to go here and I'm going to buy and, go and sell and get wealth and I'm going to get gain. And so even if they weren't rich, they had this desire to be rich and some believe that it is talking to them. The other option, and which is the more likely of the two, is that this is directed to wealthy people and particularly those that were oppressing these believers. Likely of the Jewish class because of some of the referrals that are made here. But people, these are people who are just abusing their wealth and the way that they're treating and the way they're treating others. And it's reminding, the reason I think that it's written to them when you think, well, are they going to read this letter to James? Well, actually, this letter did go around and so it, it wasn't just believers that read it, there were unbelievers. Remember chapter 2, we were talking about partiality and James was, he was reminding them of the way that they treat some people. He said, you have a wealthy person that comes through the door into your church, into your assembly and you're treating them like, wow, come and sit up here, have the best seat. You're so important and the person that came in just meager clothes or was really uh, destitute, they'd say, well, hey, you go down the back there. And they were really trying to give favouritism to those who were wealthy. And I think part of this is in here to say, you think you want to be rich, you want to be wealthy, you want to be like them? Well, let's examine the uh, condemnation that is to them and, in fact, the judgment that will face if they don't change their ways. So it is likely directed to unbelievers and it is directed to particularly wealthy people and people that are using their wealth. And so we might say, hey, okay, we're fine. But at the same time, God is reminding us here about What's our attitudes towards wealth? Uh, what is our attitude towards um, wanting the things of the world? And so hopefully that will help us to understand that a bit today. Well, firstly, let's think about what the Bible says about wealth. We discussed this a little bit when we were in chapter 1, but the Bible doesn't teach that wealth is evil. This passage is not teaching against having possessions. It's teaching against the abuse of it. God has blessed this world with resources People then acquire those in possessions, and if that's acquired in the, in the right means and for the right motive, then it can be used by God. We see that God also blessed people uh, with wealth at certain times. In the Old Testament, we read of Abraham. Abraham was a man of great wealth. In the New Testament, we read about a man named Joseph of Arimathea. He was a rich man, and he actually provided for the tomb, the gravesite for Jesus Christ when he was buried before he rose again. We read also in the New Testament, the beginning of a church, a man named Barnabas, and he sold a property. He had some money and he laid it at the feet of the apostles, used it for good, used it to distribute to those who were in need. We also read about a lady named Lydia in uh, Philippi, and she was a merchant, and she opened up her home and used, it, it, it seems, used her wealth uh, as well for godly purposes. So 
the Bible doesn't teach that wealth is evil. Some people think that because they read passages like Matthew 19. In Matthew 19, Jesus actually said, Verily, verily, or truly I say to you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so some people think, well, that means that all rich people are going to, to hell and poor people are going to heaven. There's an account of in Luke 15 of a rich man and Lazarus, and the rich man goes to, to hell and the Lazarus is at Abraham's side. And people have this idea that, you know, Wealth is evil and all rich people are going to hell and poor is good and all poor people are going to heaven. But your final destination isn't actually determined by the size of your wallet. It's determined upon what you do with Jesus Christ, whether you accept God's free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, there's others that teach that God wants you to be wealthy and have lots of money and that's a sign of blessing. We know a lot of the prosperity gospel, these televangelists that get on and say, God wants you to be uh, blessed and he wants you to have lots of money if you just send a seed amount of a thousand dollars to me you know god will bless you for that and you as we'll see later on some of these just use that to line their pockets and in timothy and paul said to timothy there's these people that suppose that gain is godliness that god wants you to be wealthy and healthy and happy and all as he said from such depart from them get a keep away from them they're teaching false things and so with wealth, we have all these sort of strange teachings, yet God wants us to know that wealth itself is not the issue. It's how we relate to it, what we do with it, what our attitude is. In fact, all it really does, as we mentioned uh, earlier when I was in James, is just allow you to do more of what you're doing already. So it does come back to a heart issue. There are, however, temptations that come with wealth, and there's plenty of warnings in scriptures about that, that when you have more when you have material possessions, when you, you have a certain amount of money or things, there's two temptations, I believe, that come with them. The first is a false sense of security. In Proverbs 10.15, it says, the rich man's wealth is his strong city. You know, he thinks, hey, I'm okay. I've got money. Everything will, will be fine. And, and let's face it, when we have some money in the bank and when, we have a few, and when we've got things paid off and all that, we do tend to think for ourselves, hey, it's okay. We've got a little bit of... Uh, security there and in a in a temporal sense in the here and now sense yeah that does insulate you from some of the problems of life we're also told that if riches increase in psalm 62 set not your heart upon them the more you have the greater the temptation is to trust in what you have when am i more likely to go before god's throne of grace when am i more likely to go before god in, in for, for needs and for the struggles i'm having is it when everything's going fine and i have lots or is it when i'm i'm struggling and when i'm in need and when i'm facing struggles and i believe sometimes that often god allows us to go through those struggles of life because he wants us to draw closer to him and he knows that when our just because of our own sin nature and our natural temptations is that Often when we have more, in fact, I believe it takes a greater strength of character to trust God and to go to God when you have more because of the temptations that you face. Solomon said this in Proverbs 30. He said, remove from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches, lest I be full and deny thee, saying, who is the Lord? If I'm rich, say, hey, I don't need God. Or if I'm poor, I might steal and take the name of my God in vain. If I'm so desperately poor, I might resort to actions that are not God-honoring as well. He says, just feed me with food convenient for me. As we said, let us be content with food and clothing. 
1 Timothy 6.17, Paul says, Charge them that are rich in this world not to be high-minded or trust in uncertain riches. Here's the whole thing. Riches are not certain. Seen stock markets crash with global financial problems. People's empires through their own immorality comes crashing down. People are going to lose and do lose their wealth and their security because of that. It can go in an instant. A false sense of security, that's one of the temptations. And then the other temptation is a desire for power that comes with wealth. You know, when you have more things, that with that comes a certain amount of power, the ability to influence other people. And that's what you find when, you know, you, you read about some of these people that they're worth tens of millions and hundreds of millions and billions of dollars, and you think, well, you can't spend it all. Right? If you went out and bought things, you, you have enough money to last you many, many lifetimes over. Why do you want the money? Well, a lot of people want the money because and they buy companies and they grow their wealth because of the influence of the power that comes with that. Apparently, 80 people in the world hold half of the world's wealth, believe it or not. 80 people hold half of the world's wealth. You think those people have power? I reckon. We look at that and go, wow. But even then, if we think about ourselves, you know, when we have, when we have some resources, often people will rely and depend upon us. That can be a good thing when we provide for others. You provide for your family. You maybe provide for parents, grandparents, children. With that, we have to be reminded, comes influence sometimes, power. That is another temptation. So a false sense of security and a desire for power. They're two temptations that come with wealth. And the result of those is what we read here is some of the crimes of these wealthy people. Now, there's four of them listed in this passage, and let's uh, look at them. I'll read verses 2 and 3. So, he, again, go to now. He's, James has done a lot of this. Come now. I want to talk to you guys, rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Here he says, your rich, riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered. Uh, the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and you eat and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. And that's the first crime that they've had, hoarded wealth. They have wealth, they've kept it to themselves, and they've not used it for, for uh, helping others. Now, it mentions garments here. Today, we go out and buy clothes and clothes are cheap. You know, you can go to Target, Big W. Big W is my favorite place because they often have stuff on clearance. But, uh, and you can, yeah, you can get a T-shirt for three bucks there, you know. Garments are cheap. They don't have a lot of value. So we think, oh, they get moth-eaten, we throw them away. But in this time, garments were, of course, woven, sometimes intricate, sometimes and often very well, uh, a sign of wealth was the more garments you have, and they would be passed on to other people. In fact, in the Old Testament, it, it, you could use your, your cloak, your garment, as a security for a loan. If you borrowed money from someone, uh, it says in the Bible that you know, they would be give them their garment for the other person to hold as security for that. Well, that garment must be valuable then in that case if they were to use it as security for a loan. In fact, it actually said that if someone did that and they were a poor person and only had one garment, you were to give them back that garment for the evening because it's cold in that, uh, at night and they need that to stay warm. And so you were to give it back to them in the evening and the next day they would bring it back. And so that would be sort of like their collateral for their loan. So garments and then... When you had garments, it's not like today where garments go out of style and fashion. They were passed down from generation to generation. We read, remember about Joseph and his coat of many colours or many pieces that was a valuable garment showed favour as well. So wealth in that time was typically 
measured by garments, by gold, by silver, by cattle, by uh, grain, of those sorts of things. And what happened here was that people were hoarding that. They were heaping it up to themselves. They were just keeping it aside. And it says there about it being rusted. Now, gold and silver doesn't rust, but the idea is not being put to use. Today, again, people do that. People uh, just accumulate wealth and they put it aside and they just say, well, I'll, I'll keep it. There's nothing wrong with saving up for something if you're working towards a goal. But uh, this is people that just say, hey, I'll just keep that money. I, just, I read in Australia currently there's about $800 billion in shares uh, held by households and about a trillion dollars in cash in the accounts. Now, it's not all wrong to have that, but it's just people, uh, because of the times that we live in, the sort of thing, oh, I'm just going to hoard it and going to keep it to myself. Turn back to Luke chapter 12, and Jesus actually tells a parable about a person that did this. And we'll look at uh, from verse 13. Now, Jesus is teaching his disciples and others there about a number of things related to you are as a person valuable to God. God cares about you. At the end of his conversation, he's giving this great spiritual talk, and, and this guy comes up to him in verse 13 that says, one of the company came up to him and said, Master... Speak to my brother that he divide my inheritance with me. You're kind of thinking, like, did he get? What he, I mean, he's talking about all these wonderful spiritual things and how you're available to God and that. And this guy's going, Master, I've got a beef with my, my brother here. He, you know, he's not dividing up the share evenly. And so Jesus says to him, who, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? It was kind of like, why are you bringing this up? Why are you coming to me about this? And then he goes on to teach both these two guys and the others there. He says, take heed and beware of covetousness. Covetousness is just, I want, I want, I want. For a man's life consists not of the abundance of the things that he possesses. The 80s was often called the decade of the me decade and the decade of wealth. And there was, um, you know, sayings like, he who dies with the most toys wins. You might have heard that. It's just this, I've got to have more stuff. He said, that's not what man's life consists of. And he spoke a parable to them. So a parable is a story, an illustration. He said, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. So he's a guy who's already rich. He's had a bumper crop because he's got uh, all of these, this land and planted crops, and it came forth plentifully. He said, thought within himself, what shall I do for I have no room to bestow my fruits? This is a bumper crop. What am I going to do with it? What could he do with it? Well, he could provide for those in need. The Bible talked about that in the Old Testament. He could sell some of it, use, put that to good use. But what does he say? He says, I will say to my soul, to myself, soul, thou hast uh, much good laid for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. You've heard that saying before, haven't you? I tell you what, I'm just going to put it, I'm just going to store it all up, hoard it, keep it to myself. He said, I'm going to pull down my barns and build greater ones. Build a, a garage for my 10 cars instead of a garage for my one car. Or whatever it is that people have. A, a hangar for my two private jets, my three private jets, or whatever it is, you know, that some of these televangelists do, you know. Um, and, the, and God said to him, thou fool. So that sort of thinking, he says, you're a fool. Why? This night thy soul shall be required of thee. He thought he was going to live forever. He says, hey, I'm just going to kick back. I'm going to enjoy life. Everything's going to be fine. He says, this night your soul shall be required of thee. This is your last day on earth. You don't, didn't know that. And then who shall those things be that thou provided? You're saving it all up for yourself. You know the people who've acquired and amassed all of these things and hoarded. Uh, I mean, even as, even as not-so-wealthy people, we can do that. I I'm I'm tend to be a bit of a hoarder sometimes myself too. We hoard things together, keeping it for maybe one day we'll need this. 
When you're gone, what happens to all of that? It goes to someone else. Solomon said that in Ecclesiastes. Solomon was the wealthiest person probably that ever lived. They tried to, I read an article where they tried to estimate what his wealth is in modern day terms, and they say in excess of $2 trillion, right, $2,000 billion uh, was his wealth, quite a bit. And he said in a book of Ecclesiastes, I mean, he said all of it was vanity, but he said, you know what? I've seen the fact that people amass all their wealth and then they die and then it goes to the next generation and they just splurge it all. He says, it's vanity, it's useless. And that's what God's saying to him uh, here. He's saying, all that you think you're storing up for yourself, hey, where's it going to be after you're gone? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So it's not saying... Don't save, don't invest, don't prepare for the future. There is a, a Bible verses that remind us that you know we need to, a, a prudent man, a wise man I mentioned last week, foreseeth evil and prepares for it. You know, There's times when we need to save towards things that, that God wants us to do, but is not rich towards God. So he's just holding it all to himself. He's saying, it's all mine, not sharing it. Going back to James, you're holding it all together for yourself and that's actually going to be your downfall. Hoarded wealth was the first crime. The second, we read in verse 4, unpaid wages. Behold, the, li- the hire of the laborers who reap down your fields. These wealthy people didn't go out and do their own work. They hired tradespeople. They hired laborers to go out and, and, and plow the fields, prepare them, plant, harvest, and they would do that. The hire of these laborers, which you've kept back by fraud, cries... And the cries of them that you reaped have entered to the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. In those days, much of the world, how it worked was you went out and you worked for a day. You got paid at the end of the day. And that's what you needed to, for your food for the next day. Maybe two if, if, if you were paid well. It's what we call subsistence living. And many people in the world live like that still today. I said, uh, you know, half the world, we're told, lives on less than $2 a day. That's how they live. They go out and they work. They don't have savings. They don't have all of these sorts of assets and that. They don't have, certainly don't have credit cards or things that they can put off. They go out and they earn their money and they get paid. And in that time, it was, you will go and work and you'll get paid at the end of the day and you needed that for the next day. Well, these guys were withholding that money and that was clearly against uh, the Bible. Now, understand that as I believe these people, because he refers to the Lord of Sabaoth, they know who he's talking about. We'll come to that in a minute. So it was likely, again, the Jewish class of people, and it could have even been some of the religious class of people uh, there. You remember the Pharisees of those days and some of the religious class were actually, they weren't supposed to be, but they were quite wealthy. And with that came a lot of power and a lot of influence. Proverbs 3.27 says, "'Withhold not good for them from them to whom it is due.'" when it's in the power of thine hand to do it. If you have the ability to provide, to give to people, you should do that. That's about withholding not good. That probably refers more to giving. But when it comes to wages, the Bible's very clear on this, particularly in the Old Testament. It says, Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, in Leviticus 19.13, neither rob him of the wages that is hired, and shall not abide thee all night until the morning. He says, you pay him at the end of the day. You don't say, oh, I'll pay you on Friday, I'll pay you on this. Now, today, you know, we, if you work, you get paid maybe some weekly, some fortnightly, some monthly. And if you're like me and have been in business for nearly uh, 30 years, you get paid when you get paid. 
uh, and that sometimes can be six months, depending on when people decide to pay it. Woe unto him that buildeth his house by unrighteousness, Jeremiah says, and his chambers by wrong, that useth his neighbor's service without wages and giveth him not for his work. Are you building your house? Are you getting all this done by getting tradespeople and then not paying them? You know, that sort of thing. He's saying, that's wrong. Woe to you. And in Malachi even goes, he says, and I will come unto you, near you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the idolaters and the false swearers. So these are some of the evil people there. And against those that oppress the hireling in their wages. You're withholding. He puts you in the same class as some of those people, the widow, the fatherless, and those that turn aside the stranger from his right. And fear not me, said the Lord of hosts. And that's what that word means. Now, I remember, um, again, having been in business for many years, and my dad was also a builder and in business for many years. I, I, and some of you might understand when being in business for yourself what it's like to, to have to wait for your money sometimes because there are people that say, oh, no, you haven't finished this yet. I'll withhold uh, payment. And, and I've, I've experienced that many times in my, my 30 years. I also remember even before that when I was working as a sales rep, Often, as a sales rep, you were also asked by the accounts department, could you go and pick up a check from these people because they owe us money, they're overdue, and we're going to stop their business with them if they don't give us the money. Well, I remember one time going to uh, head office of, a, at that time, rather large discount chain of stores. The, uh, they owed a considerable amount of money, and it was just before Christmas. We were just closing up for Christmas a few days, and they said, look, you need to go and get a check. They've promised that they'll pay this. If they don't, you know, we're going to cut off their uh, business. And so I went down there, and I waited, and the uh, financial controller said, yeah, I'll be with you in a minute. And he went upstairs, and he came down, and he handed me this check. And I looked at the check, and it was dated 30 days in advance. And his attitude was like, I'm giving you money, but I'm giving you money when I want to give it to you. And I'm like tail between my legs, having to go back to the office because I was like, what? He goes, no. So I went back to the office and, uh, and said, look, this is what... And they were, of course, upset about that, upset with me. I mean, I couldn't do anything about it, but really upset with the client. That chain of stores is no longer around, <laughs> to give you an idea, because that sort of uh, practice, that sort of behaviour ends up after a while. People know what you do, and people, when you withhold wages and that, it comes a time when no one will want to do business with you anymore. So people think they're clever in that. People think by holding back their wages, by doing that, that they're somehow getting ahead. But all they're doing really is uh, causing problems for yourself. And what he says there is that those cries of those people, those people who need that money, uh, and you think about when you have a bill and, you know, you might say, well, I'm going to hold off on that. Now, there's, we sometimes get times to pay bills and due dates, and sometimes we're struggling with that. But for us to deliberately withhold it just because we want to hold on to it. God says there's people that are in need. People, that person needs that to feed their family, to run their business. And so we have to keep that in mind as well. That's, that's against what God would have. Hoarded wealth, unpaid wages, luxury and self-indulgence. Verse 5, it says, You lived in pleasure on the earth and have been wanton. You've nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. These day of slaughter, people, commentators sort of vary on that, but the idea is that in the day of slaughter was when, hey, you're going to kill the fatted cow. It's a, it's a feast, it's a time. Hey, I'm just going to enjoy all of these things in life. And this, is, this living in pleasure, this it says the word wanton, is just what to, today we'd call opulence. It's just going beyond anything that is necessary just because I can. 
I, I kind of laughed and remember when the iPhone came out and uh, there was all these apps and you could buy the apps in the app store. Well, some enterprising person created an app called I Am Rich. And it didn't do anything. It was basically just said, I am rich. And it was $1,000. And people, they said, you could buy this. He says, it doesn't do anything, but you could spend $1,000 to buy this app for your phone just to show my friends, hey, I'm rich. I can blow $1,000 and it doesn't matter. You know what? He sold, I think, six of them. Six people bought it. And then he brought out another one that was a cheaper I am rich light that was like $200 and $400 and now you can get it for $10. But even to spend $10 on a stupid app like that, why would you do it? But people do. You know, that sort of thinking. But then when we think about luxury and self-indulgence and we, you know, think of this used to be shows like Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous and people that have, you know, gold-plated taps and all these different things. And I say gold-plated as in real 24-karat gold-plated and they will all of these different things that they have. We also have to think about how that has been over uh, church history has infiltrated the church as well. Think about the Roman Catholic Church and think about the opulence and just the excesses of that. If you go to the Vatican, and I haven't been there, but I've seen pictures of it, and you just see (coughs) the ornateness and all the wealth and the gold and the artwork and all of those things, that is just lavish. We don't have to go very far even today to think about, as I mentioned, these televangelists. And uh, we think maybe of the 80s, but they're still around. And these guys earn hundreds of millions of dollars a year. And they have jets. And they have, you know, the, um, people like T.D. Jakes and Creefo Dollar and Joyce Meyer and Benny Hinn and, and Kenneth Copeland. And you know, some of these guys are worth hundreds of millions of dollars. They claim to be preachers of the gospel, but they uh, just continually amass these things and you see pictures of their homes and it's just all of this stuff that they have uh, that is there and it's, it's just luxury, it's, it's this self-indulgence and God says that's how these people have lived. Now we can look at that and say, hey, yeah, that's terrible but we can also ourselves be pamper ourselves, just do what we want to do it for ourselves. Not in the same way, but I understand that. And the last one there, it says in verse 6, you've condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. This could refer to two things. Again, one is that the way that they treat innocent people. Again, going back to those people that with the wages, when you withhold wages from someone who needs them every day to eat, to feed their families, and eventually they starve or they, they have, you know, downfall because of that, then you are essentially condemning and killing them. You're responsible for that. Other times it could be that you didn't, they didn't provide a safe working place for them. How, how often does that happen today in the world where people, um, you know, to, to try and make more money don't provide a safety, necessary safety for people as well? It could also refer to, if we think about the fact that this could have to do with the Jewish religious people, it says, you have condemned and killed the just. Who was the just? Who's referred to the just one? Jesus. And Jesus didn't resist that. He went, willingly went to the cross. And so there could be a dual reference in that. But these four crimes, you see that their wealth, their desire for power, their false sense of security produced all of these different crimes. And, God's, and, and James now is bringing them out in the open. He's talking about them. And this final part, he says about the coming judgment. You see, the rich 
may be untouched by trouble in the here and now. And there is a fact that you know, when people are rich, if they health problem, have health problems, they can fly to some clinic in Switzerland. They can have the best of medical treatment. Yes, they, there is something that the wealth can help them with. They are insulated and not touched by hardship because of their wealth. But the message that James is telling to them here is judgment is coming. Your wealth is going to, there's a point where your wealth is going to mean nothing. And James here, this is probably one of the most scathing sort of passages in the New Testament letters. And he's speaking like an Old Testament prophet. You think of the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah and Amos particularly, was one who was speaking to, at that time, people who were trusting in their wealth, particularly the nation of Israel. He's also speaking somewhat like uh, Jesus, his half-brother in the Sermon on the Mount, where he's talking about that, you know, your wealth that, uh, that will rust and moth will come in and all of that as well. And so there's those Old Testament sort of feel about it. The, the reference there to the Lord of Sabaoth, that means the Lord of hosts, the Lord of all the armies, the powerful one, the, the God who will bring both power and judgment. This is what he's saying to them. Your weep and howl, those two words in the Greek sound very similar to each other. Your miseries shall come upon you. You think everything's going fine now? He's saying to them, all of this is going to come crashing down. Your wealth means nothing to God. Money means nothing to God. God can bring wealth. He can take wealth. You're trusting in that. Your gold, your silver is is, uh, corrupted. It's rusting. And he says, all of that actually will be a witness uh, against you. You're trusting in your wealth. You're trusting in all of these things. And in the day of judgment, that will be a witness against you because you, when you stand before God, you'll be saying, well, look at all of this that I have. And God says, doesn't impress me. Doesn't, you know, the last days, he says, you've heaped it up this wealth for. The last days, really, we're talking about the times that we're in. It's between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And so we're all in the last days. We have, and, and even these people have been in the last days. We're getting nearer to the time of Christ's return. We don't know when that is. But it's almost like uh, James is saying, you're, you're saving up for these times? Why are you saving up for these times? And next week we'll, we'll see that uh, his counsel to believers is be patient, look towards the coming of the Lord. Don't focus on the here and now. Don't get wound up in all of these possessions. In Romans 2, verse 5, talking about it being a witness against you, Paul says, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasures up to thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of, of God. You think that you're storing up things for yourself. In fact, you're storing them up for judgment against yourself. In Luke chapter 12, after that passage about the rich man and building up his bones, Jesus said for Unto whom so much is given, of much more of him shall be required. And of whom men have committed much, they will ask much more. You know, God does provide people with material blessing, but with that comes responsibility. We're to use it for God's purposes, not for our own. He reminds them in Matthew 24 that in the days of Noah, as the cunning of the son of man, before the, the days before the flood. People were just eating and drinking and giving in marriage. They're like, hey, it's fine. Life's going on. Life's good. Everything's fine. He said, until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and took them all away. People, we shouldn't live our lives just looking at the here and now. We need to think about what is beyond this life and, of course, what God wants for 
for us there. Matthew 6, 19, 20. Lay up not treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust corrupts, where thieves break through and steal. Lay up treasures for yourself in heaven where moth and rust doesn't corrupt. I mean, if thieves do not break through and steal, for where your treasure is, that'll be where your heart is. What should we do about that? Well, here's a few things. Firstly, we should have a proper, a balanced view on wealth. Don't look at it as it's all evil. Don't look at it, oh, this is God's blessing. Go to the Bible. The Bible has a lot to say about wealth. But have a a proper, right perspective on wealth and earthly possessions. God has given us, we're told in 1 Timothy uh, as well, all things richly to enjoy. They are for our enjoyment, but they're not just for our enjoyment. They're to be used for his glory and for us to remember that. Secondly, don't envy those that have wealth when you don't have it. Now, as I said, we're all wealthy to some degree, but don't look at what other people have and think, well, I want that, or be envious of them, even if it's other believers. And so we're all at maybe different stages of life, and some, as you're older, may have some more possessions. Some, if you're older, you may not have more possessions. It doesn't matter, really. Again, they're just possessions, and we should use them uh, and use them in such a way that as on our box up the back there, it says that, you know, that we should do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. If God's given us uh, an ability to help someone else, particularly in the church or other believers are in need, we should do that. We should help them. But don't be envious of those that have maybe more than you do and don't desire that. And, and lastly, don't strive inordinately to obtain it. Don't make that your goal. i just got to get more money. I've got to get more wealth. Once I get this, once I get this position, this property, whatever it is, then everything will be okay. You know, there was a big backlash against that in the 60s. We think of the 60s and the hippie era and all that protest and that. But part of that was just a backlash to a generation, a post-war generation that said, we want to get more, we want to get more, we want to get more. And some of the questions that they asked in the 60s weren't bad questions. They just had the wrong solution. They just said, hey, it's drugs and do all this and stuff and things we do. But the questions that they're asking is, look, why are they chasing all this? You know, is it really worth it? And we have to think about the example that we set for the next generation and for our kids as well. Certainly, we need to have a work ethic. Uh, don't get me wrong. We need to be able to work in that. But we also know, need to know when to quit, when to, to give, to not to just make work the whole thing of our life. Uh, we have a family. We have um, other, uh, we have opportunities to serve the Lord. And so they're the, the three things. Have a proper view of wealth. Don't envy it. Don't strive beyond means to, to get it. Paul said to Timothy, the godliness with contentment is great gain. That's the heart of it really for us is we just need to be content with whatever God provides for us. He knows our needs. He knows, uh, as Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you drink, how we're going to be closed. God, your Father knows your needs. He says, Don't seek after all these things in the same way that the world seeks after them. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all those things will be added to you. He's going to provide everything that you need and you'll be content with what he provides. That's the the main thing there. Though this is not directly applied to us, I hope it does make us think about some of the perils and also some of the temptations that come with wealth and also not just for us to think about that for yourself, but to pray for those who are really worshipping their wealth. Lord, that they would realise that they, that is temporary and that really with, if they don't change, 
what they're trusting in, it's going to come crashing down on them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message today about the need to trust you uh, with material possessions in life and, Lord, not to make those our, our greatest focus. Lord, we thank you for what you do provide for our life, Lord, that we're able to come here today to meet in this hall, to have food, transport, clothing, even money to give to, to the work of the gospel. We pray, Lord, that we would not be succumbed to the temptations of both false security and power that comes with wealth. Help us to realize that everything that you've given us is really yours and help us to uh, say what to you, what would you have me to do with it, Lord? And as we see needs around us, Lord, help us to not be people that hoard things to ourselves but just to be generous in giving, knowing that you will provide for our needs and you also provide for others' needs through us. We do want to be just channels of you. So we're grateful for this, this passage we pray for those that are just so focused on their wealth, their work, their, their businesses, whatever it is, their possessions. We know that even people who don't have a lot can be so tied up in their possessions as well. We pray, Lord, that they would be able to get free of that, that they would see that, they're, that all of that is temporary, all of it's going to go away one day. And Lord, that they would look to eternal things. That, the, that like that we would also set our affections on things above and not on the earth. So we're grateful for the instruction today. May we consider it as we go our way in Jesus' name.